Well, it is great once again, Cedar Street, to be with you. And if you've been here the past couple of weeks, or maybe you haven't been, uh, typically I like to preach a sermon series where I pick a book of the Bible and go word by word, verse by verse through the book. But uh, we finished up uh, several weeks ago uh, with the book of Ruth, and then with everything that's been happening, we've been preaching through uh, different topics and uh, God has led me to walk us through the Psalms for a few weeks in, in mid to late June, if the Lord wills. Uh, I really feel like He's going to be leading us into First Timothy. I've been preparing my heart and mind for that. But I confessed last week, and I'll say again, I just love the Psalms. And these are things that I'm chewing on in my own life. And so I wanted to preach through them and offer words of encouragement to you as well. I just I can't say enough about the book of Psalms. It just is a book that captures the full range of human emotion. And I would imagine the emotion that it captures today as we walk through Psalm 42 is something that everybody in this room knows firsthand that most of you may be experiencing right at this moment. And even if you're not, you've been there and you're going to be there again. We're going to be talking about how to speak to your own soul, specifically in times where your soul is in despair. And you know, I want to start off by just asking you a simple question that you probably haven't thought of before, but I'm just going to say, who is the person you have a conversation with the most in your life? Think for a second. Who's the person that you often converse with throughout the day? I'm going to give you a clue. I already know the answer, and you may not. It's not your mom. It's not your boss. It's not your best friend. It's not your neighbor. It's you. You talk to you all day long, whether you know it or not. Some people do it internally because they don't want to embarrass themselves. But I want to stop and think about how many times during the day you listen to your own voice. I'll give you maybe five seconds of my voice, all right, that's in my head every day. Did I leave the garage door open? Did I call that person back? What did he mean when he said that? Did I pay the insurance bill? Is it due this month? Do I have a mint because I've got cotton mouth? Does this person have a mint because their cotton mouth is worse than mine? These are the thoughts that run through my head all day long. And guess what? Same with you. When you wake up in the morning, eat yourself some breakfast, you get yourself a shower, you get dressed, you start thinking through your day. You have a conversation with you that starts from the time that you wake up until the time that you go to bed. It's how we're wired. We are wired to have this self-talk, this self-conversation. But I want to say something that the world that does not know God is not saying. Last week I said that we do not need to follow our hearts because our hearts are wicked and deceitful and they can deceive us. We need to guard our hearts and follow Christ. Well, something similar to that that I want to teach today is we should not be listening to ourselves We should be talking to ourselves with the words of God. We should be reminding ourselves over and over again, not what we think, not what we feel, but what God says. Because as human beings, we forget in a world that does not know God, the world wants to tell us to listen to ourselves instead of listen to the Lord. But guess what? The answers do not come from within. The answers come from above. You do not have the strength in yourself to fulfill the purpose of yourself. You do not have all the answers because you're not sovereign. You're not the foundation of the earth and you're not the author of truth, but God is. And so what we need to do day by day is to have this ability to speak to our own souls the truth of God because we always forget. 
And we always need to be reminded. And that's the, that's the deceit of Satan, by the way. If you think back to Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3, all right, and you see Adam and Eve, and they're listening to God, and they're doing what God instructed them to do, it is Satan who comes into the garden and begins to make them question what God says, and then encourages them to lean on their own understanding. Think about it. Satan says, did God really say you shouldn't eat from that tree? Are you surely going to die? I don't think so. Why don't you go eat from that tree? Because if you do, you'll have the same knowledge that God does. He was telling Adam and Eve to listen to something other than God. And if they, if they followed their own instructions, they themselves would have the knowledge of God. And guess what? They ate from the fruit, and we've been a mess ever since. It's not that God has not given us wonderful gifts. It's not that He hasn't given us minds that can grow. It is not that we don't have the capacity to do good things. It's that we are limited and finite. There's a a limit to our understanding. There's a limit to our strength. There's a limit to how we can live for the Lord. But Christ Himself is unlimited. And so we need to speak to our soul the truth of God every day, and listen to God's Word instead of listening to ourself. That's the main idea. In one sentence, to, to get us ready for Psalm 42, I would just say this. Whenever we are crushed by a broken world, we need to remind our souls to trust in a sovereign God. There's an assumption there that everyone in this room is being crushed or has already been crushed by a broken world. Some of, for some of you, that's physical pain you're experiencing right now. For some of you, that's emotional pain spiritual pain, financial struggle, relational conflict. This world puts a weight on our souls that we can't carry. But we're going to learn here in Psalm 42 not to listen to ourselves in the midst of that crushing storm, but to speak to our souls with the strength of a sovereign God. So, if you have a Bible, please turn with me to Psalm 42. Again, we'll be in Psalm 42. We're going to read the whole psalm. It's only 11 verses. All right, and if you would stand at this time out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant word. Okay, Psalm 42. If you don't have a Bible, grab the pew Bible in front of you. Page 554. Thank you, Brother Dwayne. I didn't bring a bulletin up here with me. Page 554 in your pew Bibles. Deacons are always looking out for me. All right, we're going to go through all 11 verses. Hear God's word to us, starting in verse 1 of Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. 
By day the Lord commands His steadfast love, and at night His song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do love You. And we do praise You, Father, but we confess to You that we have souls that are being crushed by a lost and dark and broken world, both by our own sin and the sin of those around us. Father, we live under a curse. You know this well. But Father, we know that You are good. We know that You are sovereignly in control of everything. And we need Your help to remind us of this every day, every moment. So Father, as we enter into a time of what I hope to be worship, as we walk through these 11 verses of Psalm 42, Father, I pray that you would take our hearts and minds captive and teach us how to speak to our own souls the truth of your word, that it's your voice and not ours that we'd listen to every day to be more like your son. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love the honesty of the Psalms. And I think even in the last week, there are many of you, and I would say even myself, who have had moments where we have felt what what that psalmist is saying. That, that our souls have been cast down and we're wondering where God is. But before we walk into the text, I want to draw our attention back to uh, what we learned several months ago about a couple different things. I know many of us come in and out every week. We're on vacation and different things, and then some of you may be here for the first time. So I want you to feel kind of up to date on where we are. First, I want to talk about the human soul. What's the soul? Well, we went through a series on Sunday nights at the beginning of the year called Soul Keeping, and I, th- I think I had what, what uh, John Orper gave us as a fantastic definition of the soul. Here's what he said, and people define it differently, but here's what he had to say about the human soul. All right, Human beings were made up of several parts, and he said we have a will, we have a mind, we have a body, and then our soul is the collection of all those things in unity. So what do I mean by that? First, our will. Our will is the capacity to make genuine human choices. You have a will. I have a will. We will to do something or we will not to do something. And we actually have limited power in that will. We call it our willpower. Some of us were strong in certain areas and then we become really weak when they bring out the cheesecake, right? All right. We willpower. It's our will. It's a part of who we are. So we have our will, then we have our mind. If the will is uh, our capacity to make genuine human choices, the mind is our capacity to think and feel and understand. All right, all of us have a mind. I'm preaching to you right now because it is my hope that the Word of God will enter into your mind and transform the way you're seeing your world right now. So we have a will, we have a mind, and then we have a body. The body is your capacity to experience physical life on this earth. All right? Our body lets us taste, see, feel, hear, experience the reality that God has placed us in. But the soul is a collection of your, your thoughts and your will and your mind and your heart and your, and your body all wrapped up into one. Your soul is you. It's who you are. And so when you're in pain, 
The psalmist here is teaching us to speak to our soul, speak to the root of who we are, and speak not the words that we hear in our own minds, because that's our own voice, but speak the words of God and remind us of what is true and what is not true. And as we walk through Psalm 42, you know, there's, there's two things I want to keep in mind. Uh, you know, I want to talk about the sovereignty of God, and then we're going to look at the, the structure of the actual psalm. But what do I mean when I say sovereignty? We say it all the time in church, but maybe you're new to church, you've never heard the word sovereignty. What does it mean when I say God is sovereign? It means that God has full power and full authority. That means He has the power to change your life, and He has authority over your life. You're accountable to Him. So, if God is sovereign, He's the one that can change things that we have no power to change in our own life. And so, we need to tell our soul to be mindful of these areas where God is sovereign and in control, and we are weak, and we are not. And then I want to talk about the psalm in particular, Psalm 42. This In the 11 verses, okay, the writers of this psalm is, is actually the sons of Korah. All right, and these were men that King David had instructed to organize the chorus and the orchestra of the worship inside the tabernacle before the temple was built for the Jews. So these, so this, these psalms were written for worship. And as this psalm was being written in 11 verses, there's a beautiful rhythm to it. And we'll see it in a second. In verses 1 through 4, the psalmist laments how hard life is. But then in verse 5, there's hope. And then in verses 6 through 7, there's another lament about how hard life is. But then in verse 8, there's hope. And then in verses 9 through 10, there's a lament about how hard life is. And then in verse 11, he closes with hope again. And you know what? That's the pattern of our life. Think about your life. I don't care how old you are if you know Jesus. You have this storm and you go through the storm. You don't know how you're going to survive the storm. And you call out to God and something happens and you survive the storm. And hope rushes in. And you have a moment of comfort and strength. And you come out of one storm and you go into another one. And the cycle happens over and over and over again. But we have the hope that one day the cycle will break. And it will break upon either one of two things. Either we go to be with Jesus or He comes down here to be with us. But the hope is there that the one who will make all things right, He's with us right now. And we can have hope in, in the moment of despair. We can have hope at the same time. And that's what the psalmist is teaching us. And I want to walk through this psalm together. And I want you to think about your life. And I want you to think about where you are right now. In your job, in your family, in your marriage. And I want you to think about what the psalmist, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, what the psalmist is telling you how you should respond to have the hope that God promises We're going to look at three areas of lament, areas that we cry out to God, and then three reasons why our hope should be in God, and this is what we should be telling our soul. So number one, as we look at verses one through five, tell your soul to trust in God's sovereign presence. Listen to verses one through five again. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts of songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. And then in verse 5 and 6, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. 
The issue in the first five verses is the presence of God. The key words come out of verse 3 that says, Where is your God? When you're in trouble, the first thing you look for is God. The first thing you look for is Daddy. Where is He at? Why is this happening? Why is He not listening to my prayer? Why is He not acting? Why am I still going through this? Over and over and over again, I'm struggling. God, where are you? We thirst for God's presence when we are the most desperate. We don't praise God in the sunshine. We lay in the sunshine and enjoy it. We praise God in the storm because we know we can't survive it without Him. And it's not that God enjoys watching us in the storm, but God is is most concerned with us calling to Him and drawing close to Him in the storm. That's why God allows storms. That's why He allows storms. I want you to think about your own children or grandchildren. Okay, I'm always thinking about mine. It's the forefront of my life right now. My daughter is a few months shy of her second birthday, and she's going through all those child development stages that most of you have gone through with multiple children and now grandchildren. So I'm learning for the first time what most of you know well. Here's what I'm learning. Now that she can walk and run, when she gets excited with things, new toys, Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, whatever's on TV, she can get lost in that for hours, and she can forget about me and Ashley. Now, she forgets about me a lot faster than she forgets about Ashley, trust me. And if Ashley gets up and goes to get a drink, if she's aware, she'll cry out for Ashley. But there are days when Ashley needs to leave that we try and distract her so she can leave without Ren knowing. And then Ren can go like three hours and not even know mom's gone because she's so ingrained in the show or in the toy or in something. But guess what happens at night? Guess what happens when the lights turn off and and the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse is turned off and the toys are put away? Baby cries out for mama, and baby does not want to leave mama until the lights come on again because baby is reminded that she needs mama now more than she ever had. Well, guess what? Some of you may be 70 or 80 years old in here, but you still need Abba Father in the darkness. Guess what? You also need him in the light, but the light can be very distracting to us. There's plenty in life to keep us busy, all right? There's plenty of entertainment in the world to numb the pain of a life that is broken, But when we face darkness, we call out for daddy. And that's exactly what's happening here in this psalm. And he's saying, I want God so bad, it's like a thirst. And I've used this analogy before, but if you've ever stayed in a cheap hotel and and cranked up one of those window air conditioning units all the way to 67 degrees, you realize at 4.30 in the morning, your throat is like the Mojave Desert. And you would mortgage your house to have a can of soda from the vending machine. That's the type of thirst this psalmist is talking about. When you wake up with that bone-dry throat, ugh, I thirst for something that will quench it. There's only one thing that will quench it. And in this darkness, the psalmist is saying, only God can quench this. Only God can help me through the physical ailments I have. Only God can help me with this awful boss that I have. Only God can help me through this marital struggle that I have. Only God can repair this broken family that I have. God, where are you? I need you. Where's your presence? I need you. That's what the psalmist is saying. You have a a thirst as a sinful human being who's been separated by God because of sin and is being brought back together because of Christ. You need God more than you need anything else. You may think that if you won the lottery, 
all your problems would be solved. You may think if the doctor gave you a perfect health report, all your problems would be solved. You may think if you married the person you were the most compatible with, your problems would be solved. But guess what? You would exchange one problem for another because our world is broken. It's broken, but it's not broken without hope. It's not broken without hope. So what do we know about the presence of God? We talked about it the first eight weeks of the year. I'm not going to go into huge detail about it because we talked about it for so long. But for those who weren't here, here's a short snapshot of what I want to say. There's two dimensions of the presence of God. God is sovereignly present everywhere at all times as a creator, but He is specifically, uniquely, relationally present as a Father to those that love Him and have given their lives to Jesus. And I know that because you have received the Holy Spirit and God is not only around you, He's not only among you, but He lives inside of you. So the God that you need is as close to you as the air you breathe. But we also learn this in our weeks together. We said that you can't do anything about the sovereign presence of God being everywhere, but the God who lives in you, there are things that you can do to draw closer to Him, and then there are things that you can do to pull far away from Him. So even though the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, the Bible says that we can quench or grieve the Holy Spirit, which means we can stop that relationship from growing, and we won't even know He's there. And we'll call out and say, God, why can't I? I know that you're here. I feel like you're a million miles away. And God would say, I'm right here, but there's sin between us. And you need to confess and repent that. And that's exactly why I lead us into confession every week in worship. Because as we sing, I don't want anything to be between you and God. I don't want anything to be between me and God. That's why we confess and turn away and repent and restore our relationship with the Lord. In James 4.8, it says, draw near to God and He'll draw near to you. In 1 Peter 4, 6 through 7, it says basically that if we humble ourselves before God, we can cast all our cares and anxieties on Him because He cares for us as a father cares for a child. And in Hebrews 4, 16, we're told that we can draw close to the throne of grace, seeking His mercy and forgiveness because we're adopted as part of His family if we put our faith in Jesus. We need to understand and draw close to the presence of God And in the midst of our struggles, we need to talk to our soul. We need to look at ourselves and say, listen up, soul. Trust that God's present. He may not feel like He is, but He is. And if we ourselves are doing anything sinfully and we're not repenting of it, that's the reason why we do not know His sweetness. We need to repent of that and draw close. And maybe we're experiencing something that's not our fault. And we need to just ask God to comfort us. We need to ask God to strengthen us, to let us know that He's there. To let us know that He's there. We need to tell our soul to trust in His sovereign presence. Number two, we need to tell our soul to trust in God's sovereign power. So we want God to be close to us, but that would not be great news if God did not have any power to change our situation. But we have a God who's close, and that God who is close can change what's happening. He can change our situation. It says in verses 6 through 8, My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls, and all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands His steadfast love, and at night His song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. The issue in this passage is the power of God. 
The last one was the presence of God, where the psalmist said, where are you, God? Now the psalmist is talking about the power of God. He's saying there's the roar of his waterfalls, the all-consuming size of his waves and breakers, the commands of his love to speak to the power of God's sovereign nature. God is powerful. He can do anything at any time for any reason. He is God. But then there's this one passage. This one passage says, deep calls to deep. I've heard it in several Christian songs. I've heard pastors preach it, and everyone interprets it a little bit differently. Here's the best way that I know how to explain this. I believe deep calls to deep means that the depth of our human condition of suffering is met by a greater depth of God's eternal love. And I'll, I'll give you a famous quote here. Corey Ten Boom, this amazing woman, perhaps you have read her book. It's one of the top 50 Christian books that has ever been written called The Hiding Place. She was a Dutch Christian who went in and helped steal away some of the, uh, the Jews that were stuck in some uh, Nazi camps in, in the Holocaust. And she wrote this in the midst of being in those Nazi concentration camps and looking at droves of humans who've suffered to the point of death because of hatred. She said this one sentence, There is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. I want you to think about that. There's no pit that you're in right now. Whether it's a self-inflicted pit, you made a huge mistake, all right? Maybe you got fired from your job. Maybe your marriage is on the brink of divorce. Maybe there's, uh, you know, you've made some financial struggles and your house is going to be put up for foreclosure and, and you're wondering, how did this happen? Why am I struggling? What's going on? There's no pit so deep that the love of God is not deeper still. That the love of God cannot meet you where you are. That the love of God cannot take what's broken and put it back together again. That's what the psalmist is saying. The deepness of your brokenness is met with a deeper deepness of God's love. The deepness of His love is calling the deepness of your brokenness. Deep calls to deep. And God's saying, I can meet you where you are. But you've got to call out to me and you've got to trust in my power to take what's broken and put it back together again and put it back together again. So we need to tell our soul to trust in His powerful love to rescue us. We need to call out to Him and say, God, I, I, I have no ability in my own strength to make this right. I'm the one who made it wrong. Can you help me? Can you help me? We need to trust in His sovereign power. But third and finally, and this is probably most important when it comes to getting the big picture of why we're going through or going through in our life right now. Number three, tell your soul to trust in God's sovereign plan. Listen to verses 9 through 11. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. This, these last uh, three verses, 9, 10, and 11, they remind us that God's plan is bigger than us, and you can't see His plan for your life. You can't. When I was 12 years old in my first romantic heartbreak, I remember thinking, I will never get over this. Guess what? I got over it. And so did you, right? First cut's the deepest. Why is it that I didn't think then what I, the way I think now? Because I'm 37 years old and I can step back and see God's plan a little bit better. 
And for those of you who are in your 70s and 80s, and maybe even in this room right now, 90s, you can step back and see more of the plan than I can. You can see how God uh, worked through your marriage and worked through your job and your retirement and all the things that you have and the things that you never did have. And you can say, God was at work. God had a plan. God had a plan. Now, let me say why we, are get, we get confused about God's plan, okay? And why if you listen to the world or even listen to yourself instead of God, you're going to get this really confused. Two reasons. Number one, life often makes no sense. It makes no sense because we don't see the beginning from the end, but God does. But the second part is this. God's timing seems like it takes forever. Doesn't it? Doesn't it seem like it takes forever when you pray and ask God to do something? And I say all the time, it's because we live in a microwave world, but we serve a crockpot God. And he's cooking, he's cooking up the juices right now. But there is yet another reason. I'll give you a third one. Our goal is different than God's. We talked about this in our prospective member class this morning. Our goal as humans, specifically as Americans, is the pursuit of happiness. God's goal is the pursuit of holiness. Now hear me clearly. That does not mean that God takes joy in those who are unhappy. God delights in our happiness. It's just not His top priority. God's top priority is that you become more like Jesus. And let me tell you the sweet spot. Let me tell you the best news of all. The best news of all is when your holiness becomes your happiness. The example that I gave to our folks in the prospective member class is uh, when you try to change the way that you eat. And I'm asking for God's help in my own life in this area. When you change the way that you eat, at the beginning of that stage, when your portion sizes are smaller and you trade in a steak for celery, happiness dwanes for a moment. All right, I remember when I was a kid, my grandfather used to hold up the celery stalk and he'd say, Peter, you know, he never called me Bo because Bo wasn't in the Bible. He'd say, Peter, you have to acquire a taste for the good things. And I'd take a jar of peanut butter and slap it all over the celery and I'd say, I've acquired a taste, Pop-Pop, it tastes great. But I butchered the nutritional value right then and there. But here's the deal. There are certain people in this particular room who have been eating the things that are best for their body for so long, they cannot actually imagine eating something full of fat or high in carbs. They can't do it. Their body rejects it because what has become good for them is what they now desire. And that's the sweet spot. It's the same thing with your life when you follow Jesus. People don't want to follow Christ because they know what they have to give up. They know if they follow Jesus, sex outside of marriage is a no-no. No compromising. It's not okay with God. It never has been. It never will be. Living with each other outside of marriage is not okay with God. It never has been. It never will be. All these things that, that the world says are okay, God says no. And people don't want to, to eat that first stalk of celery. But when the goal of your life is said, God, I want you no matter what. And God says, good, because my goal for you is holiness. My goal for you is to be more like Jesus. You follow him long enough, and he begins to make his desires your desires. And by the way, he also forgives you for all the times that you went into your desires instead of his. So if you've been guilty of anything that I just said, understand that there's grace and mercy and restoration, but you've got to call out to him and ask him to restore you. And he will, because his goal is holiness. And when holiness and happiness meet, boy, that's a beautiful marriage. It will last forever. And that is God's goal for our life. So as we sum all this up, and I'm assuming right now in this sanctuary, I don't care how old you are, we forget, by the way, as adults, how tough life is as a kid. 
We think our life is, is harder than the child's life, but you know what? Their problems are equally as hard as ours. We just have more capacity to deal with them. I wouldn't go back to high school if you paid me a million dollars right now in cash. All right? I, my problems are different, but my capacity to deal with them is different too. So I speak to everybody in this room, all right, from fourth grade all the way up to 90 years old. Your life is hard. No one's life in this room is easy. And you have moments, maybe some of you right now didn't even want to come to church today because your soul is being suppressed. It's being crushed by the problems of your life, by the mysteries of what's happening, by wondering who you're going to marry, by wondering what job you're going to have, by wondering how you're going to survive this cancer report, by wondering how you're going to live if your spouse moves on, by wondering how you're going to do this or how you're going to do that. God has an answer for you today. He's saying, stop listening to the world. Stop listening to the television. And most of all, stop listening to yourself. Tell yourself the words of God and listen to Him. If I had to sum it up in one sentence, I'd say this. We can tell our souls to trust in God's sovereignty because His presence, power, and plan have already been revealed in God's Son. How do we know? In His presence, in His power, in His plan. We know it because Jesus showed it to us. Jesus is the presence of God. He is Emmanuel, God with us. The power of God. Jesus came with such power, He had uh, power over nature. He had power over death and disease. The men who were with Him on the boat in Mark 4 said, Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey Him? Jesus had the power to do anything then. Jesus has the power to do anything now. The plan of God. What's the plan of God? For God so loved the world that He sent His Son that whoever would believe in it would not perish but have everlasting life. Through Jesus, we see God's presence, we see God's power, and we see God's plan. And you and me, as followers of Christ, can trust in the deepest moments of our life that God is sovereignly present, that God has sovereign power, and that God has a sovereign plan for your life and mine to be more like Jesus. And if you need any more encouragement, I'll tell you this. Many Christians have uttered these words, and they've been a comfort to me as well. If you're a Christian, everything works out in the end. If it hasn't worked out yet, it's because it's not the end yet. We haven't been with Jesus just yet. He is with us spiritually, but we will be with Him physically soon enough. Either we're going to go up to be with Him, or we'll be here, be here long enough, He's going to come down here to be with us. But we know in the book of Revelation, with all the mysteries in that book, the big picture of Revelation is in the end we win because Jesus has already won the victory for us. But in the meantime, we're in the storm. You're in the storm. I'm in the storm. Together as a church, we're in the storm. But in the storm, we do not need to listen to anybody else but God. And we need to tell our souls to trust in His sovereign power trust in His sovereign presence, and trust in His sovereign plan. We're going to enter into a time of invitation, and here's the invitation to everybody in this room. If you're a Christian, you have everything you need to get through what you're wrestling with right now, but you need to call out to God, and you need to remind yourself that He's in control, and you also need to ask Him to show you if there's any sin in your life that you need to repent of, because until you do, you will not experience His full presence his full power, or know his full plan. Repentance is the way to strength in God. If you're not a Christian, the first thing you need to repent of is your sin and, and plead for him to save you.
because you're not good enough to stand before God on your own merit. God commands perfection, and nobody in this room is perfect. So if you're not a Christian, call out to God and say, I need to be saved. Get me out of this pit that I'm headed to because, Father, I admit to you that I'm sinful and I cannot change except for the power of God, and he will save you. He will save you. So as we enter into this invitation, let us remember to speak to our souls and remember his sovereign power, remember his sovereign presence, and remember his sovereign plan. Let's pray. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, again, uh, we love you so much. Father, pain is real. It'd be better to come into a church and admit we're a mess instead of putting on our Sunday best and put on a big smile and go to lunch and pretend like we got it all together. Nobody in this room does. We can't control the uncontrollable, Father. Only you can because you're the creator. So, Father, help us in the week ahead when things on television and radio and newspapers and the Internet tell us that hope and, and restoration are found in things other than you. Help us to be mindful that we can speak to our own souls and trust in your presence, trust in your power, and trust in your plan. For it's in your Son's name we pray. Amen.